I really enjoyed the uh, psalm that Chris started us out with this morning. I talked about God being our help in times of trouble. And I have to tell you, I'm coming today with a little bit of a shaky voice and a shaky heart. Uh, my mom was brought to the hospital last night, and uh, oh man, they are going to be performing surgery today at noon for a mass they found in her bowel. So I'm a little looking forward to a story about rescue, because even in a time like this, man, don't we need rescue? So would you bow your heads with me as we pray to God and as we open up his word? Thank you, Father, for the promises that you give us in your word. Thank you for the reading of Joshua 2 that talks about an unexpected rescue. And oh God, how often don't we ask you for an unexpected rescue? So I pray that over Betty Heisinga this morning as she goes into surgery. And for my dad, as he waits for word, I ask, Father, that we would lay aside, though, all the things that are worrying and bothering and just concentrate for a little while on what your word says. And Father, even though I bring to you two widows' mites, I pray that you would work your Holy Spirit in our hearts, that you would reveal things in your word that we have not seen before, and that today would be a day of understanding that you are a God of rescue and hope and salvation. Would you help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak? For you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. So as you've heard, today is a mess message about rescue. And my question is, have you ever been rescued? Have you ever needed rescuing? And I'm going to bore you with a story you might have heard some parts of before. It's a little dramatic for us, but here it is. A story that I want you to look at through the lenses of rescue. So my husband, Melvin, decided to go to seminary just after we were married. And we went there, and it was exciting. Grand Rapids, Michigan, so exciting. And we were part of uh, a group of young people who wanted to devote their lives to serving the Lord. Now, we left after that first year, and we took a year to come back because, in the meantime, we had had the birth of our beautiful daughter, Elizabeth. So when we came back to Grand Rapids for our second year of schooling, Elizabeth was 10 months old, and she was a precocious little thing. She was couch surfing already, walking along couches and trying to walk on her own. And uh, while that can be really nice development marker. It's a bit of a pain for the mom who can never keep her eyes on the child. Anyways, we, I had gone to a seminary wives meeting with the intention of meeting together with other, other wives, trying to find jobs, and uh, just kind of figuring out where we all were after a year of separation. And so with my little 10-month-old, I went there, and you can imagine the excitement. It's all these women chatting, it's coffee, it's tea, it's kids running around, very exciting. And our precocious little girl, in a moment none could have expected, anticipated, or moved fast enough for, grabbed a pot of freshly boiled water and pulled it over herself. So she was burned, 18% of her upper body, to what the hospitals call seventh degree thickness, which is into your muscle. So you can imagine in the States, we ran out of money pretty quickly, within three days, and that's where the rescue comes in. 
So Melvin's brother-in-law, Bill, is, was a paramedic in Edmonton. And Bill had the ability to fly to Grand Rapids to assure the doctors that we weren't taking our daughter to a moose lodge, but indeed a real hospital, and to get us out of the States and back home safely. That was the ultimate rescue. So when Brad was reading Joshua 2, did you get a sense of rescue? And where did you see the promise of rescue? So I want to go back and review some of the things that Pastor Chris has been taking us through in Joshua because there's an amazing thread of promises that have gone through that book. If you remember, Moses has taken the people out of Israel and along the way they've received the Ten Commandments and Moses has been teaching them to follow the Torah. When Moses dies, Joshua takes his place. And when you start to delve into Joshua, it talks about Joshua being the new Moses. And Joshua also reminded the people about the Ten Commandments. The Israelites were a people of promise through which God would bring wholeness and healing to the land that God brought them. I want to say that again because it's a... It's a a sentiment you're going to see through the entire book of Joshua. The Israelites were a people of promise through which God would bring about wholeness and healing to the land that God had given them. Now, in the land of Canaan, they were devoted to destruction. They were morally compromised. There was sexual immorality. There was worshiping of many gods. And they were sacrificing of their children to those gods. The Israelites are told by God to perform harem, complete destruction of those that live in the land of Canaan because they are evil. Now there is some exceptions. The Canaanites that chose to follow God would be saved. And those that nations living outside of Canaan, the Israelites were told to live in peace with. Four times in Joshua 1, they are told to be strong and courageous. I actually highlighted it in my Bible. Be strong and courageous in the new land that God is promising his people. He reminds them that he's going to be with them wherever they go. And they are going to reclaim Canaan to be a land devoted to God. The next message was a message about the promise of rest. And that was a hard-hitting message, Pastor Chris, because that is a hard thing in these days, to rest. The instruction to the Israelites was to enter the land that was promised to them, and that in the gift of rest, they would experience the increase of God's presence. That is a promise to us as well. In rest, we experience an increase of God's presence. And in their rest, God was going to bring healing and wholeness to the land. So now we're in Joshua 2, and it's a promise of rescue. As a matter of fact, I was thinking as I was reading it, if this was a Hallmark movie, you could imagine the voice in the background. Into the land of Canaan, there are two spies that enter the land and find a big-hearted prostitute who will take them in and guide them out. Imagine. It's a story of intrigue. It's a story of humor. It's an amazing story. 
we've got two spies scoping out the enemy city. Because Jericho was at the height of its power and the height of its strength. And Joshua, when he gave the spies the uh, command to seek out the land, he told them specifically, check out Jericho. Now, when those spies entered Jericho, they wanted to be anonymous and incognito. Apparently, that didn't work very well for them, did it? Because when they entered Rahab's house, someone saw them right away. Now, let's just talk a little bit about Rahab. I like to skirt around the word prostitute because it's not one that we're comfortable with, is it? Rahab might have been a prostitute on her own, or she might have been one of the... um, prostitutes that worked for the fertility shrine, so then a sacred prostitute. Either way, she lived on the edge of society, quite literally. So when those men were spotted, they were reported to the king that the Israelites were in town. Now, the king was no dummy. He heard that warring Israelites were on their way, and he knew he was in trouble. So he right away sent a messenger to Rahab to find out who these men were. And Rahab... She lied. She said, oh, they were here, but I think they went that away. The classic misdirection, go that away. The most unlikely of people, Rahab, the most unlikely of people, rescued those two Israelite spies. Now, she also began a negotiation with them while they were laying under the flax that she had laid on the roof. Now, I want a sidebar. Why is there flax on the roof? I always have these odd questions when I read through Scripture. Why flax? Well, it's thought that perhaps her, far- her family lived as farmers outside the wall and that they would have farmed flax for the noblemen because flax would be turned into the priestly garments. Now I wondered about the wall. The wall made no sense to me. How do you live in a wall? Well, the Bible says in Joshua 2.15, specifically, it was in the wall. And according to Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian, the walls of Jericho were so thick that two chariots could ride beside each other on the top of the wall and not fall out or not fall off. Now that is a stable wall. The back of Rahab's house was against that wall. Why did she have flax on the roof? Probably to dry it. How did she get it up there? With a rope. How amazing. Okay, back to our story. When the spies leave her house, she has a, has a remarkable conversation with them before they go. She realizes that she realizes that she needs to tell them something about the condition of the Canaanites. And, and Brad read that. He said they were melting in fear. Well, the spies then realized that that was what they had asked of God, that there was be fear of the Israelites. So that's another promise that's confirmed. Those living in Jericho know that there was complete destruction to the kingdom of Sihon and Og, They know that the Red Sea was dried up so that everyone could cross it. The whole city knows what's been happening. Rahab knows and Jericho knows. Both the spies and Rahab agree at this point that it is inevitable that God is going to give Jericho over to the Israelites. Rahab says, I know that the city has been given to you. I know that your God is not only God in heaven, he is God on earth. 
Why is that so important that she says this? Because she is admitting that Yahweh is sovereign. This is a beautiful declaration of faith in spite of the nation's polytheism. The whole nation was was filled with the worship of other gods. And here we have a prostitute in Jericho saying, there is one God and he is sovereign. Now Rahab also does something that's a little daring. She asks not only for herself to be saved, she asks for her family. The spies make an oath that no harm will come to her family, but there's two stipulations. Rahab has to continue to be faithful and she has to have the scarlet cord out of her window. What the spies say is, if you get your mother, father, sisters, and brothers, and anyone else you bring under the scarlet rope, then we guarantee in the name of God that you are going to be spared. Rahab has time to evangelize, to tell her family about God. Now, those of you that have ever been involved in multi-level marketing know how hard it is to talk to your family. Can you imagine this? She's now telling them, not only must you not believe all of these other gods that you have been worshiping, but you have to come with me to a warring nation's God and worship him. I wonder how hard that was for her. But if indeed everybody in the city had a melting heart of fear, I wonder if the opportunity was a little bit easier for her. This negotiation with the spies ensures that Rahab will be able to have her family rescued with her. So the scarlet rope is a sign that inside the house, there is life. Outside of the house, there is going to be complete destruction and death. Now, it reminds me of another promise that was made to the Israelites. If they were to put the blood on the lintels of the doors when they were slaves in Egypt, the angel of death, the angel of Hesed, would pass over them. And in their house, there would be life, and outside of it, there would be death. What a beautiful promise. Rahab trusted this God of the Israelites even though she had only heard about his mighty acts. And then I wonder, like, are we like that? When we only hear about the mighty acts of God, are we convicted that this God is a sovereign God of all the earth? We've, a lot of, we've seen a lot of injustice this week. The hidden graves of over 1,300 indigenous children and surely more to be found. And we might wonder where God was. Why didn't he save those kids? And why didn't the people in authority over them have love and compassion? And this is where people blame God. But it's not God that we should be blaming. It is people, the people that were involved. They were the ones that perpetuated injustice and death and horror. If we look at what God has done, what happened in the residential schools we know is not his will. And like Rahab, this is where we lean on who we know God is, not who people say he is. God keeps his promises and inspires courage and endurance in the life of a believer. He is not fickle. He's not swayed by culture. He is steadfast. 
God's grace extends to any person that it confesses him as Lord and Savior. In Rahab's case, he rescued her and then he blessed her with a husband named Salmon. She received mercy, or chesed, and rescue. But you know what? We can read that story and it's a great one, but there's even more. The biggest effect of Rahab's rescue is something that affects the entire nation of Israel for all time. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 7-9, it says, There will be people from every tribe and nation and kindred and tongue. And Rahab affected all of those. I want to read you Matthew 1, uh, verses 1 to 6. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nation. Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So what was the greatest rescue? Was the greatest rescue the Israelites coming out of Egypt? Was the greatest rescue two spies who are rescued by Rahab? Was it Rahab being rescued by the Israelites and becoming part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ? I would say the answer is D, all of the above. The promise of rescue for Rahab becomes the promise of rescue for us. We are rescued by a loving God who is going to save us from total destruction and bless us with loving kindness because Jesus has defeated more than the kings of Og and Sion. Jesus defeated death. And that is rescue. I want to tell you a story of another very interesting rescue. David Huss tells a story about a boy who came home one afternoon and he was anxious to take a swim in the cool pond behind his house. Now he lived in South Florida, so taking a quick dip in the pool was quite a thing to do. I, I saw your look. <laughs> now he was so anxious to get into the water, he took off his shirt and his socks and his shoes. He didn't tell his mom he was home. He just dove off the dock into that cool water. And his mom saw him and thought, Oh, man, I, I, he didn't even say hi. So she went out to the dock, and as she's going out to the dock, she sees an alligator from the opposite side of the pond swimming towards him. She's yelling and screaming to her son, and it, it takes him midway through the pond to hear her. He sees a danger, and of course, now he's swimming for his life, literally, to get to her. At the same time, she's grabbing his arms, pulling him out. The alligator clamps onto his legs. And it's now the nightmare of all tug-of-wars no mom would want to experience. There's blood in the water, there's screaming, a neighbor hears, comes with a shotgun, and shoots the alligator. 
So the little boy is brought to the hospital, and after several weeks of intense therapy and operations, he's now excited to show off his battle wounds. So a reporter comes and says to him, can I see your scars? And excitedly, the boy shows him the alligator scars. And then he says, but wait, look at these. And with that, he shows the reporter the scars on his arms. I have great scars on my arms too, he says. I have them because my mom wouldn't let go. The promise of our rescue is the same. We have a God who will not let go. He didn't let go of Rahab, and he is not going to let go of us. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the proof of our safety and our rescue. And though this promise, through this promise over us, God has promised to bring healing and wholeness to our land. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, thank you that whatever is going on in life, we know you are a God that is not going to let go of us. Thank you for that, Jesus. And Father, we just want to say again, with our whole hearts, we love you and we want to serve you. And we want to teach others about this promise that you have given, that you will not let go, that your son died for us. And through his covering over us, we have chesed. We have beautiful rest and kindness. And I thank you, Father. May your word live in our hearts today.